Hello, this is your host, Cameron Tubitabai, joined as always by Dr. Justin Quinn and Mr. Alex Goldberg, making this another edition of Celtics Lab. Today on the podcast, we're going to discuss, among other things, the Boston Celtics and Super Smash Bros. We're also going to do a deep dive into Robert Williams. But first, hot off of of a solid win against the Clippers, the Celtics are now the proud owners of a three-game win streak. Dr. Quinn, initial thoughts on these past few games of Boston Celtics basketball? I really do not like the phrase turning the corner. Uh, It's been pointed out by other members of the media recently that if you turn the corner several times, you are right back where you started, but it does seem like (laughs) they have gotten some traction. At least I think it's a better word. So that makes me happy. You know, some serotonin is happening uh, as a result of these wins. Pretty nice. Hux, what about you? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I mean, uh, Divine Sweater, my band, is releasing a single on Friday, so my mood is always up when that stuff happens. Please check it out on Spotify, Apple, et cetera, et cetera. You you know where to find music. I I trust you, listener. Um, But yeah, you know, the Celtics are also contributing to my improved mood, for sure. Um, I think, in particular, it's been a real breath of fresh air to see uh, Kemba Walker getting back to his old self. So, and this is coming from me, the most vocal Kemba critic, perhaps on this podcast. Uh, well, I'll see you and I'll raise you. Last week, I wrote an article about how bad the Celtics are in the fourth quarter. Um, in the past four games, they're probably the second or third most efficient team in the fourth quarter in that time. And I also wrote a piece about how the Celtics should trade Kemba Walker for Blake Griffin, of all people. And that does not appear to be aging well, um, which is a good segue, I suppose. So the Celtics are riding a three-game win streak, which is one of the longer win streaks of the season, if not the longest. Uh, but before that, I think in between our most recent episode, we did see Boston lose pretty uh, in a pretty ugly fashion to Atlanta. And they've had moments where some of our concerns continue to be validated. Um, just in the past few games, games against Indiana, against the Clippers, against the Hawks, uh, Alex, what are you seeing that you're liking? I know that later we're going to talk all about the Time Lord, um, but anyone else that you want to shout out or you have your eye on? A couple of people come to mind. So um, for starters, obviously, I just mentioned him, but uh, Kemba looks a lot better and has looked a lot better in these past few games. He's getting into his actions quicker, uh, which is a big part of why this offense looks just faster and more effective in general. Uh, He's looking a little more decisive and he's making kind of Kemba Walker shots, you know, these goofy footed running jumpers that he's just become so good at. Um, He he really seems like he's kind of got his bounce back and obviously it's a long season and, you know, I imagine they're going to kind of play him with kid gloves, so to speak, but it's encouraging to see him playing well again. Um, I also think Peyton Pritchard has found his rhythm as the backup point guard a little bit these past couple of games. Uh, it seems like he he was hitting shots last night, particularly against the Clippers, and he's generally making better decisions with the ball. Uh, and I think that he he trusts his leg, which he tweaked a little bit earlier in the season, a little bit more right now. So those two guys in particular have stood out to me. And then, uh, you know, keeping things situated in guard land, I got to say, the much maligned Jeff Teague has really not looked awful these past three games. He's been perfectly acceptable. And, you know, Jeff Teague, uh, uh, again, it, it must be said, Jeff Teague is Jeff Teague. You're going to be riding that roller coaster all season long. But, you know, at least right now, Jeff Teague stock is trending up. What about you, uh, Dr. Quinn? You buy in the Jeff Teague stock? I mean, I have probably been the equivalent of um, Alex's Kemba hater for for Jeff, and I have actually given him some compliments recently um, in public. So for me, that is uh, pretty impressive. I did not expect him to have a. I expected him to be like permanent DNP by by this point of the season after after the way he was playing earlier in it. So the fact that he's doing well at all is actually really nice to see. Really makes me happy for him, and. I also have to say that Tice, Tice is kind of finding his way again, um, particularly in that synergy that we're seeing between him and Kemba. Um, seeing Kemba uh, pass faster and higher um, out of traps has been really a nice thing to see as well. 
Um, they were really abusing him earlier in the season, just like, like trapping him. He was having a real hard time getting out of it. So it's, it's been good to see him address that as well. Um, and like those, yeah. those are really the, the main things that uh, have really stood out to me recently. Justin, to your point, I'm pretty sure against the Wizards uh, late in that game, obviously, you know, you have to talk about the, the headline is Jason Tatum's absurd clutch heroics, which just seems like a regular thing at this point. But there was a stretch there where the Celtics were down by about, I want to say, 10 points. And Kemba went, uh, Kemba got trapped high and hit Tice in stride for either a layup or a mid-range jumper for four possessions in a row. And that got us back in the game. So that you're, you're definitely onto something. I think that partnership in particular is looking a lot better. And, you know, Tice... Tice is the unsung hero for so much of the Celt- what the Celtics have been doing for these past three years. Um, and there's, there's certainly limitations to Daniel Tice's game. I think there's always going to be. He is undersized, and there are times when he looks pretty slow-footed out there. And when his shot is off, it's a real problem for this offense. But when Tice is looking good, when Tice is uh, making good shots and making quick decisions with the ball this team looks a lot better. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because I definitely sipped that uh, the sky's falling Kool-Aid that this Celtics team is two all-stars that maybe are getting too much credit and a bunch of role players that don't look like they belong on a competitive NBA team. And man, winning really fixes everything. It could be that it's health. It could be that whatever... Remember last week, the week before, someone was throwing chairs in the locker room and we were so sure that it wasn't a, a fight. Uh, this is a tease. Maybe they're playing Super Smash or something. Whatever was happening, um, a little enthusiasm in either direction go a long way. Maybe this team is just starting to click. Um, I mean, they do have new players in the fold. It would make sense. Uh, but yeah, when the, when the role players and the supporting cast play to their potential, and let alone the max all-star guard, uh, plays to his potential this is a really really different team and I think down the stretch against Washington or against Atlanta we're reminded that this is still a really young team I think they're the fifth or sixth youngest team in the NBA so we're never going to get this polished product I don't think this season from the seas but uh, yeah the past few games have been really proof positive that uh, at their best I think the Celtics probably shouldn't be putting as many wrinkles on our face as we were allowing just a week or two ago. Um, any other last thoughts on the past few uh, games that we've seen? Thoughts about uh, Jason Tatum. Uh, he has been in a slump. Like he's been shooting terribly recently, but he's also been just like pulling these clutch endings out of his butt. How are we feeling about this? Cause on one hand, it just seems like he seems like kind of just like a microcosm of the entire team. And to a certain extent, Jalen also just seems, I don't know. It's its very peculiar to see both how amazing he can play interspersed with how poorly he does play through much of the game. Yeah, I think, so Jason is a player that over the course of his career, I've noticed there, he takes a little bit of time to get into games. Usually my my perception of Jason Tatum, and maybe this is wrong, but usually from what I understand, he, he's not the guy who's going to come out and immediately light the world on fire. He kind of plays his way into matchups and is feeling stuff out a little bit. Um, but when Kemba is playing well and when Jalen is playing well, that gives the Celtics um, a bigger margin for error to allow Tatum to feel his way into these games. So I think as the season progresses, what I'm hoping is that I, I honestly am not too worried about Jason if he comes out and is a little slow to start these games, um, as long as Kemba and Jalen are asserting themselves early. Uh, what I need from Jason Tatum is what he's been doing, which is uh, when the game is tight in the fourth quarter, Jason Tatum is the guy on this team who can get his shot anytime, any place over anybody. And so as long as the Celtics are within sniping distance and they have a shot at the win, uh, as long as Tatum is on the floor for the fourth quarter, I think I'm going to feel okay, even if he takes a little bit longer to get into the games. And you also have to consider 
he is coming off of coronavirus. He's talked pretty extensively about how it's affected his lungs, his stamina, and uh, his ability to kind of be at the best version of himself. Uh, it's going to take him some time to really get back to that player. Uh, might not even be this season, to be honest. But if he if he's able to kind of conserve his energy for when it matters, I'm not too worried. Yeah, Alex, I think you're exactly right that the COVID uh, complications should really take center stage. Um, we should probably all give athletes a longer leash anyways, but uh, whether it's Tatum or Westbrook or any other player that we know had a bout with COVID, uh, I think it's just, it's not something that we, par- of course, can can speculate on, but I don't know if, you know, the team personnel can speculate on. It's just something that is too new. Um, and we'll talk about Robert Williams shortly. I think that that's probably a factor because um, he also was laid up with COVID pretty bad. I will say uh, Jason Tatum appears to have gotten his hands on a vintage Mustang. So, and a really, really good looking one at that. So it seems like his decision-making is not compromised in any way. Um, we also, sorry, um, we, we've spent all this time talking about Jason Tatum and we haven't mentioned that it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Jason. Happy birthday, Jeez. Jason. Ho- hope you're having a good one. Also Alexander Graham Bell's birthday, which is exciting. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Justin, I think that that's, that's pretty fair. It's certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, but uh, Alex, I'm inclined to agree that COVID notwithstanding, that's why you have Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker. So your presumably best player, especially when they're downtrodden with a uh, serious disease, uh, they can kind of pick up the pieces a little bit. Um, whether or not Jason Tatum is categorically the best Celtics player, we could talk about that another time maybe, but I suspect we're in agreement there. In the past few days, not only have the Celtics played some promising basketball, but there's been some chatter from uh, Danny Ainge, Wick Grausbeck, and a few others about the future of this team in the short and long term. Uh, recently, it, it seems like Ainge is angling for the TPE, the Gordon Hayward TPE, really pushing the narrative that that's going to get used in the offseason. Uh, whether or not that is to be taken at face value or that in and of itself is a jockeying uh, move by Ainge uh, is worth debating. Uh, but Alex, what do you think of Ainge's comments uh, recently or just kind of what you're feeling on the trade market for the Celtics or in the league in general? So I've heard some stuff and read some stuff recently that suggests that sellers are going to have a really hard time in this market and that teams are not trying to to give up a lot to acquire players that maybe are rentals or Uh, are not going to enhance their championship equity too much this season. I think that is a result of a couple of things. The uncertainty about the salary cap for next year, uh, the fact that this year's draft is loaded by all accounts and picks are going to be more valuable, and uh, the fact that for the most part, while there has been a lot of parity in the league, I think it's also fair to say that there is a tier of teams right now in Brooklyn, Philly, the LA teams, and Utah that are pretty clearly above the rest of the pack. And I think that's leaving teams a little bit gun shy to make moves right now in the hopes of just like getting into the playoffs and losing in the second round. Uh, In a weird way, it actually positions the Celtics to be kind of better equipped to make a deadline trade because of the value of picks for next year's draft and the fact that the Celtics actually have first round picks, which is not something that a lot of teams have right now. But um, I do think that there's something to the idea that with sellers in general being kind of cold right now, uh, I, I would be surprised if there's a player available at the deadline that is the right mix of enhancing the Celtics championship equity while also not costing uh, so much that it's not worth doing that deal. Um, I think there's a chance that the Celtics use one of the smaller TPEs at the deadline, maybe the Cantor 5 million exception or even the Poirier exception to get just kind of a fringe role player that they can fill out bodies with. Um, But 
I would be I would be surprised at this point if they go in for like a bigger move, such as an Aaron Gordon or a Harrison Barnes type. I think that's more likely to be happening in the offseason. I do think that there is a very large amount of posturing going on with both Wick and Danny. I, you, you, you can't I mean, he's already going to get the age tax, as you've pointed out elsewhere. I do think that there there is a need to make it clear. And it's not necessarily, you know, baseless posturing either because they can't really afford to to burn through too many assets. Excuse the um, camote salesman in the background. Uh, I'm in Mexico City for those who don't know. And there's a man who blows a whistle for anyway. Sweet potatoes. Different story. Uh, uh, wait, hold on. How are the sweet potatoes? Um, you know, I actually have never had one. Justin. Okay, someone go ahead and buy a Celtics Lab t-shirt so Justin can <laughs> get us for us. Sorry, I cut you off. Keep going. No, it's okay. Um, Good plug. There is, there is a, you know, an urgency to get this right. They really can't blow this TPE. If they don't get the guy that is going to put them in title contention, they need to get the guys who they can trade to get the guy who will put them in title contention. Now, they can stay under the tax and use a pretty good amount of the TPE this season and then use the rest of it in the offseason. But they do need to stay under. I don't have the exact amount in front of me um, right now, but that's so spooky. They they need to get it right. And while they can use some of it now, uh, they really have to weigh whether it's going to be enough to push them over the edge this season and burn all the assets, whether they want to kind of, you know, half-step a little bit and get someone like – I don't know. Maybe maybe they can find a way. Maybe they really like Shemi Ohale um, in in Cleveland. Okay, maybe they don't. Um, <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm loving this. <laughs> it's really not intentional, guys. I'm I'm sorry about this. Um, maybe maybe what ends up happening is they find someone who is kind of like a stopgap that can help them make a nice deep run, so we don't feel bad about the team. We don't get you know like thrown out in the first round. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors to consider when when looking at this. And really, as, as Alex said, uh, the fact that there aren't any any you know considerable movement like like rumbling up at the moment or taking place, I think really positions Boston to be in a better position once that time comes around. They also want to see what they get out of people like Romeo Langford and how they play with Marcus Smart back and people being mostly healthy. And there won't be a lot of time for that with the 25th being as close mm-hmm. as it is, but. Things are not looking as bad as uh, when Ainge and when Wick made these these speeches on on public radio or excuse me, local sports radio. Uh, I guess my quick thoughts are as follows. First, I I can't imagine a world where either Brad Stevens or Danny Ainge lose their job anytime soon. So uh, both the the bench and the front office have a long leash to. Uh, hold the line or say, hey, we got to do something here. Um, But to that end, I would think that Ainge isn't going to rush to bring in. I mean, the TPE is really fascinating, but it does also change the future salary outlook pretty dramatically for the Celtics, depending on the contract. Um, And so ownership, I think, Alex, it's a really interesting um, thing to consider the sellers and the buyers, not just the Celtics, because the COVID dust hasn't quite settled. So we don't know how teams are going to land financially. Um, Interestingly enough, the Celtics just, uh, I mean, the Celtics, sorry, the NBA just signed a contract with Canada goose, which is owned by Bain and operated by Bain and uh, Gotham is a Bain guy. So (laughs) this new partnership might put more money in the Celtics pocket. Who knows? Uh, But other teams might be kind of running up against it and it's going to be an entirely different a set of circumstances for their long-term outlet. But that's so inside baseball and not what we're about here. Uh, I will say the whole concept of pre-agency and the possibility of getting someone's bird rights is really fascinating to me. Hello, Kyle Lowry. Uh, but financially, things are really complicated. So I I don't really think there's going to be a big trade, uh, certainly not involving the Celtics, but again, a, a topic for another podcast. And the reason I'm so quick to move on from that topic is because uh, we have, as we're wont to do here, we have a deep dive that we'd like to take you inside the lab on. Uh, Much has been said, a lot of ink has been spilled about uh, Robert Williams and his needing to start for the Boston Celtics, his 
confusing, frustrating, demoralizing lack of consistent minutes. And we thought what we would do is we would just kind of polish off a few stats that get to the heart of whether or not uh, Robert Williams does in fact need to be playing more, or if it's a little uh, too much hype around Time Lord. Um, if the, sh the shine might come off the apple based on this deep dive. So buckle up, folks. Um, Alex, this was your brainchild, so I'll let you get first crack here. Um, are there any in your investigation, or if you outsourced that, that data mining, um, are there any stats, uh, advanced analytics about the Time Lord that either confirmed what you wanted to believe or challenged maybe some of your convictions? And I think it goes without saying you're a big fan of the Time Lord. Um, so the stat that, uh, really jumps out to me as far as Robert Williams performance as of late on the court goes, is that, um, when Robert Williams is on the court, the Celtics win more games than they lose. Um, that's a really big one for me, very deep advanced analytics. Um, no, I, you know, I gotta say as somebody who relies a lot on the eye test and who is kind of more invested in watching the games play out than deep diving on the spreadsheets, which I probably should do more of, but uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, both time management and attention hyper deficit hyperactivity disorder don't, don't do. Um, I, I, I tend to watch the games a little more. And, you know, I think it's just, there's so much more energy when this guy is on the court. Um, so last night against the Clippers, Rob was basically playing the entire fourth quarter. And the thing that I noticed is that Rob's rim gravity is a real problem mm -hmm. for teams that play small. Um, he was setting high screens for Kemba and Jason all night and then rolling hard to the rim. And poor Evicha Zubac, he, he just doesn't have the foot speed or the height or the athleticism to stay with this guy. And uh, the entire Clippers defense knew it. And like, if you were watching that game, you could tell they were reacting to where Robert Williams was as much as they were reacting to where Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown was. Um, mm -hmm. I've noticed in particular that he has really great chemistry with Peyton Pritchard as well, um, who is maybe the first Celtic who knows how to throw a lob pass since Rajon Rondo. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's... Like Rob is such a threatening player at the rim that he adds a level of speed and dynamic motion to this offense that um, Tice and Thompson just frankly can't replicate. Uh, Tice is good in playing fast situations, but in a different way uh, as kind of a spacer and shooter. Um, Rob will kill you at the rim if you give him even an inch of space. In addition, Rob is a really advanced passer for his age. Um, there were a couple of plays last night where Rob would catch the ball and drive hard to the basket, but as a setup to whip a pass out to Tatum or uh, Kemba at the top of the arc. And to add that into his game, plus the hops, plus the athleticism, plus the shot blocking and scoring around the rim, it, it just opens up so many more things on the floor for guys like Kemba who can now create in one-on-one -on -one situations as opposed to getting double teamed or for Jason to be able to, you know, space the floor and hit shots instead of having to recklessly attack the rim, which he struggles with at times. I, I just, from, from the eye test standpoint, at least, the answer is just pretty clear to me that Rob adds a level of that dynamic motion to this team that no center really has brought to the Celtics for quite some time. So, Dr. Quinn, uh, you did the legwork on all of our uh, lab data here. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk us through uh, some of the things that you found and you specifically made comparisons to the other bigs in the Celtics rotation. So, um, can you illuminate us on what you found and maybe refute or prove some of the things Alex is choosing to believe? Alex is spot on with all of his observations. I, I'm not surprised. So 
there's a couple of reasons. One of, the, one of the reasons why we have the other bigs compared is because obviously they're competing for time, you know, and some of this is ego as much as it is talent, as much as it is salary, as much as it is contract length. So there's all these different things to consider. But one of the primary narratives that we've been hearing, well, there's two real primary narratives as to how much time he's getting. One is the injury aspect, which is real, you know, and it doesn't seem like it's been bothering him, but they are ramping his minutes up relatively slowly. We saw him hit over 20 minutes a game two times in the last four games, which is really promising. So it shows that not only are they believing him, but they are also trusting his leg, his hip. Uh, my understanding is that if it gets bad enough, it could actually need surgery. So they're they are managing that pretty carefully. There's also, you know, the situation that there's this assumption and he does, you know, these, the, the defensive mistakes don't always show up in the stat sheets, um, but where they do show up, um, you know, USA Today happens to give me access to Synergy Sports, which, you know, I am not by any means an expert in, but there are some things that stand out to me uh, in it that I think is worth noting. And, you know, the big picture is that Synergy rates uh, Rob as an excellent offensive player, along with Daniel Tice. It rates Tristan Thompson so far this season, not, you know, career or anything like that, just this season, as an average offensive player, which, you know, the eye test seems to confirm. He does some interesting things close to the basket, but if it's not there, you know, it's pretty groundbound, just kind of the hook shot over the head, kind of a thing that he just always does. He never passes it out. You, you kind of understand why he gets that rating. When we look at the defensive side, an overall rating of very good is given to Rob uh, compared to good also for Tice and average to, to Tristan. So, I mean, just on a very basic level, it, it seems pretty obvious that we, we prefer to be playing uh, Rob in most situations. Um, for some more specific stuff that really stands out, um, he doesn't have a post game. So, I mean, that's not very important in today's game, but I mean, there, there are, you know, reasons why you do want to have someone like Tristan around for something like that. Um, he doesn't guard pick and roll men um, or hasn't guarded pick and roll men uh, particularly well so far this season. And besides that, um, things he does really well. I mean, obviously he is, he is a very good offensive rebounder. Um, he's very good as, as we heard from Alex as a, as the, the pick and roll man. Um, he's a very good cutter. I mean, we saw, we saw him warping the defense last night uh, against the Clippers and he's very good in transition in terms of an overall option. I think that it's pretty clear that he does make mistakes still, but if you look at foul rates, if you look at uh, turnovers, he is on par with his other main competitors in the front court. So Really, I think at this point, the reason we are seeing less time with him is just because he does need to earn Brad's trust in that role. It's one thing to look at statistics and say, well, this should work. And it's another thing to actually have it work. And, you know, he's doing it again against people with egos and potential contract years going ahead of him. So there's that to consider. Um, and then there's the injury thing again. So, I mean, when you take all those things and put them in, into mm. a big stew, I think that they are, they're coming along with Rob in an appropriate speed. You know, um, Justin, you mentioned, according to the Synergy stats, that Rob is a, a good offensive rebounder. And that's, to me, a really important and underrated aspect of his game, in particular because the Celtics are awful at rebounding both on offense and defense generally. We've given up so many key rebounds this season, and there have been multiple instances where you can see the team getting more demoralized with each offensive rebound that they give up. And I noticed yesterday in the Clippers game that in late situations when Paul George turned into playoff P again and started hucking bricks at the rim, um, there were a lot of situations where, I mean, when Paul George hits the rim, that thing thuds off the rim and it can go careening any which way. And Rob did, I thought, an excellent job of securing a bunch of boards that the Celtics would otherwise likely not have gotten. And uh, I think that's an underrated but really important aspect to his game that the Celtics are going to need more of if they want to be considered a serious threat in the playoffs is Robert's athleticism on the boards. So uh, I have a few things I'm going to chime in with. The first, 
How many threes do you think Robert Williams has attempted his, in his entire career? Justin says three. Alex? I feel like it's two. Uh, according to basketball reference, it's one. Okay. So in this, the year 2021, the Celtics fans are rapidly advocating for a basketball player who has shot fewer threes than Ben Simmons. Um, his per 36 numbers are alarmingly good. Uh, per 36 minutes this season, he's averaging 15.5 points, 13.2 rebounds, including 5.1 offensive rebounds and 3.2 blocks. Those numbers are very fun to play with, but they're not real. The, the fact of the matter is this, that he plays against second and sometimes third units. And we don't know if those numbers would always transfer to starter minutes. He's played above uh, 20 minutes a game this season, Justin, um, to close the loop six times. Um, at Celtics Lab on Twitter, just tweeted this stat out. Three of those times have been in the past two weeks, which is very exciting. However, I think his health, um, his hip, and his COVID recovery are not things that we can just wish to be better. They have to be taken very seriously. And to that end, his conditioning is just not adequate. Um, he's out of gas, and you can see it. Um, it. It presents itself in focus on defense. And Justin, to your point, unless he has uh, the lane to play with, what role he fills on offense is very unclear. So uh, I think all of that said, if he is healthy and uh, has the stamina to play, I think they should play him a ton because at the very least, you need to know what is going on with this guy. Um, Soon he will be due for a contract. Um, He hits restricted free agency next summer. Is that correct? Um, Summer after this, I believe. Yeah. Summer after this. And not to be like totally sociopathic about some of our favorite players, but he might be a real trade asset. Um, Whether it's Peyton Pritchard or the Time Lord or Real Mio Langford, Brad Stevens has this weird balancing act where he's got to get Tatum, Kemba, and Brown confident and running and ready for real playoff contention. But then probably in the back of his mind or in meetings with Ainge, he knows that he needs to showcase some of his younger players um, or at the very least see if they're, uh, they can cut the mustard. So I am an advocate for Robert Williams playing as many minutes as his body can let him. But a little bit of it is he's more of an unknown, I think, than we want to believe. And until he can play more than 20 minutes a game, more than six times in a season, we don't really know what's going on with this guy other than uh, really fantastic highlights now and again. We'll see. I am, I got to say, these past three games have been really encouraging. And I think... I, I agree. There's still some unknowns. Rob is also still a foul machine, which he will need to work on. Uh, but at the same time, man, if he can scratch the surface of the potential that he has shown, that is going to be a really big problem for a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference. Justin, any other fun stats or things you uncovered in your deep dive? You're looking for an alternative nickname. Before he was Time Lord, he was Boo Butt. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Say that word again. Boo Butt? Boo Butt. That did you... Well, first of all, this is, a, this is not a statistic. Um, where did you learn this information? Basketball reference. Uh, I don't know how legitimate it was, but that was up there before Time Lord. Oh, yeah, it totally no, is. I, I think that's real. I think that either his mom or his sister crafted that one. Uh, I... So if you want an alternative, but <laughs> I recently um, put this out there. So maybe you saw this, but Robert Williams, is, how tall do you think Robert Williams is? And what do you think his wingspan is? I'm pretty sure he's like six, eight or six, nine. He's only six, eight. And his wingspan is seven, six. That's hilarious. According to the Google snippet. That is insane. Garbage. Um, so Alex, yeah. I mean, I mean, physically so promising and, when he's on, he's on. I mean, that's just like the story of every Boston Celtic, I think, this season. Uh, we do have a game that we're going to play. Any other thoughts on Robert Williams or um, the Celtics front court in general? I think playing Rob and Tice together makes a lot of sense. Um, and Wait, I th- What, in like 1994? Well, here's my logic. If okay? you have to, right? So 
the Celtics in in the loss of Gordon Hayward and in Marcus Smart being out, the Celtics have had to resort to the double big lineup more than I would like. That is a real thing. As, and in the modern NBA, that's dicey for sure. But at the same time, if you're gonna be forced to play the double big lineup, which for the most part, Brad Stevens has been, Semi Ojale has a defined limit on how much he can contribute on a game-to-game basis. So if you're gonna play the double big lineup, it is what it is, but I would rather that be Tice and Robert than um, Tice and Tristan Thompson because Tice and Rob can both play fast. Uh, they can get up the court quickly. They can move the ball around and they can close out on shooters a lot more effectively than Tristan Thompson can. I think Tristan Thompson has a role on this team. I think it's possible he could get flipped. I won't be too sad, but if he doesn't, um, he will have a role on this team, but it's closer to what Ennis Cantor was doing for us last year than as a starting center. And I think that Rob and Tice provides a nice mix of shooting, playmaking, defense, and rim gravity uh, that allows Kemba and the Jays to work a little bit more effectively in transition than hitting Tristan in the high post and watching him uh, try to kind of rumble his way into the lane for a hook shot. So I would say regarding the Celtics front court, more Tyson Rob, little more judicious with our Tristan Thompson minutes. Dr. Quinn, anything out of you on the front court? I actually feel very strongly about that. I was pushing for, for the, uh, Time Lord Tice double big lineup early on. I got made fun of a little bit for it. Um, not directly, but I did catch a little flack. <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. I do think that Thompson does have a role. I, I mean, he is a lot more mobile, I think, than people realize. But I mean, if, if he could just learn to pass the damn ball out of the post, he would be so much more useful. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't want to get in the weeds here. I think for the price that they're paying, the Celtics are getting good value out of their centers. And I'm very thankful that uh, they're not paying $18 million for a glorified shot blocker that will not be named. Uh, (laughs) However, uh, could that possibly be? Yeah. Well, this is an aside. I saw that there's a lot of chatter around Eric Gordon who, Oh my God, that contract is miserable. (laughs) I can't imagine. Anyways. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Neither here nor there, and hopefully never in Boston. Uh, We're going to close the Celtics lab with uh, some even more advanced analytics, and I'm going to swing quarterbacking duties over to Justin. Um, Alex, why don't you set the table? Why are we doing this crazy activity? So um, I I should mention that, you know, this is an activity that I think I mostly generated here uh and with cam's prompting we included it in the pod but so um robert williams in addition to you know being an explosive game-changing player for the celtics as of late also tweeted out um something to the following effect the other day of you had to be there with reference to my favorite video game console of all time the nintendo gamecube Um, And he listed a few of his favorite video games that he played for the Nintendo GameCube in the tweet. One of which is, to this day, my favorite video game ever. It will not be dethroned by anything. I'm confident of this. Uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee for the GameCube. Uh, And that got me thinking about if it is the case that Rob still plays this game, has a GameCube, still likes his Super Smash Bros. Melee, then I wonder if he plays it with his teammates. And if that's the case, who are the Celtics picking in their games of Super Smash Bros? So I have some very defined thoughts on this as a seasoned veteran of the Smash world myself. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to like major league tournaments anytime soon, but I can hold my own. Well, with that, um, dude. Wow. And so uh, I thought it would be a fun exercise to walk through who the Celtics would pick in a fictional Super Smash Bros. tournament. Um, And so how I think this was going to work is basically we were just going to go one by one through the roster. Um, We can alternate picks. Uh, And Justin mentioned earlier in the pod that his his memories of this game are a little foggy. 
shall we say. Um, I may so, have been inebriated at my undergraduate university. Long, long tradition of that. Uh, I was too. So how this is going to work is Cam and I are going to switch off Celtics players, just going down the roster. Who did they pick and why? Uh, and then we are going to make arguments in favor of or against those choices. And Justin will award points in favor of who makes the most compelling argument. So I'll make a pick. Cam will either agree with that pick or push back on it. And then if we need Justin to weigh in, he can do that. So Cam, yes. would you like to go first? Sure. So how I uh, did this is I just kind of took the Celtics rotation. I didn't, sorry, Carson Edwards. I don't care who you play Super Smash Bros <laughs> with. I didn't encumber myself with that. Um, so I have basically the rotation. And if I missed anyone, I'll just make it up on the go. Um, so I'll go through the starters and I have Tatum as a starter because uh, it's his leg. He can still play Super Smash Bros. Yep. Um, so I have Tatum, number one, the birthday boy. Um, I have Tatum picking Donkey Kong. Don- Tatum is a little cheesy. Um, Tatum is, he went to Duke. He's a Boston Celtic. He's a little name brand. Nothing wrong with that. Um, and Donkey Kong is fun. Donkey Kong is strong. Donkey Kong is a respectable key member of the Nintendo universe. Um, and I, I just, I couldn't really talk myself into some of the more uh, niche players. So I'm going to go with Donkey Kong. And then I'm just going to pause here to say one of, or I'm going to say two things. First, uh, the GameCube, GameCube controller is the best video game controller there has ever been designed. Correct. And second, uh, if you haven't, after you listen to this podcast, go on YouTube and find videos of the new Nintendo theme park in Japan it's incredible um, if if this isn't nostalgia straight to your uh veins a video tour of that is certainly gonna be that so anyways tatum donkey kong that's my pick alex so uh yeah i had a thought on that um i you know but uh, honestly cam i think you laid out your case pretty compassionately there and uh i, I think donkey kong makes sense for jason tatum uh i'm a Sick. big <laughs> I'm, I'm a big dk fan have been for a while uh, he's got really strong arms. And the cool thing about DK is that um, he's got a pretty impressive range of lateral motion for a guy his size, which I think is true of Jason Tatum as well. So I'm actually okay with that pick. Uh, I think I think I'm good with Kong Tatum. That works for me. Um, so I guess, so I, guess I get a point there. Does that, yeah, you get a fair. point. Um, I'm going to say something that I haven't fact-checked in years. I'm pretty sure Donkey Kong's name is Donkey Kong because it was supposed to be Monkey Kong and it was a typo. Wow. But I haven't, uh, I haven't fact-checked that. That's something I remember learning probably when I played Super Smash Bros. Melee on the GameCube <laughs> for the first time. Um, so you can impress your friends with that fact, but you, you can't blame me if it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Duly noted. Anyways, the, t- the turn is yours. I assume Jalen is the next up. but Jalen Brown is the next up. And I'm, I'm extremely confident in this pick. Uh, and I think I know exactly who I'm going to go with. And I know exactly who Jalen's going to go with. Um, so uh, in the original Super Smash Bros. for the N64, um, Fox McCloud was a beloved and very effective character. Uh, he's got incredibly strong smash attacks and a really annoying laser gun. But uh, Jalen strikes me as a little bit more physically imposing than Fox, uh, more so like his counterpart Falco, which was introduced in the Super Smash Bros. Melee universe. Um, Falco is a character that is unbelievably powerful if you know how to use him correctly. Uh, you can do a huge amount of damage and you can also really move around, uh, which is, I think, a tribute to Jalen's improved handle um, and shot making. Obviously, Falco is gr- a great shooter from deep. He's got a laser pistol and he knows how to use it. Um, so I think Falco is a pretty clear choice for me. And the last thing I'll say about this is that Falco is a character that is unbelievably strong if used correctly, but use him at your peril because if you fuck up with Falco, you're going to die really quickly. And I think the same can kind of be said about Jalen's game where when Jalen is at his best, he's absolutely destructive. He'll just ruin another team's night. But when Jalen is pressing too hard, when he's trying to force his shot in the lane, 
he can really quickly take the offense out of his rhythm. So Falco, Jalen Brown. Cool. Um, I'm going to take the point from you here because uh, Jalen Brown plays as, plays Super Smash Bros. Melee as Samus um, for a couple of reasons. First, Samus is strong, has an outside shot, has that hold down the B button move to kind of obliterate your enemies. So uh, he or she, excuse me, offers I was everything. Gonna say <laughs> she offers everything that Falco doesn't. Um, and Jalen Brown is a progressive young man, and I think that you know, as a boy growing up, you oh my god, I'm going to play as Peach. There was something like hilariously ironic about that, but choosing to play as um, Samus or Zelda like really took confidence, and that's something that Jalen has. And uh, Metroid also is kind of this uh, darker game. Jalen uh, appears to be cultured when it comes to cartoons and uh, art and things like that. Um, so yeah, Jalen Jalen mains Samus. Obviously, you're wrong, Doctor Quinn. They're both really compelling arguments. So on one hand, we get the cerebral. On the other hand, we get something that really strongly mirrors his game. I I was actually really compelled by the the vision of Falco going, say, I don't know, three for 16 shooting on a night. Um, (laughs) I think think that does it for me, but just by an edge, just by a hair. All right. So I'll write down Alex got a point B. We're both teachers. You can't do that thing where this ends in a tie. You have to, That's you can't true. do that. <laughs> All right. So it's my turn, I guess. Um, so I'm going to talk about Marcus Smart here. Mm. Um, Marcus Smart sometimes plays as Captain Falcon or Ganondorf. That's how he beat the game. Um, just raw power. Um, there's nothing refined about those picks. It's just, I'm going to bully my way and into the, the end of the game and when I meet the big hand I'm just going to keep punching it until I win the game. Now when Marcus Smart plays with his friends it's very different because Marcus Smart wants to embarrass you because he's an outstanding competitor. So Marcus Smart is going to do um, something that uh, is going to really make the shame of losing to him in Super Smash Bros. Melee really outstanding. So he's going to play as Ness. Um, he's going to hit you with a yo-yo until you die. He's going to be this little boy with his little backpack and his little shorts. And he's going to use the least interesting, least uh, intimidating character. And he's he's going to beat you. Um, and then he's going to laugh in your face about it. That's Marcus Smart um, playing Super Smash Bros. Melee. So sorry, Cam. But uh, again, you're dead wrong on this one. Uh, and I say this because... The fact is, I agree, Marcus Smart is an extremely competitive guy, and he will want to humiliate you. But the fact is, Ness is just a bad character, straight up. You, you Exactly. At, at, at an elite level, you simply can't win with Ness. He has too many moves that are non-functional. I thought your Captain Falcon choice was inspired, because Captain Falcon plays with the same reckless abandon and lack of self-regard that Marcus Smart does. Captain Falcon is the kind of guy who will take it into the teeth of three defenders with nothing but balls of steel. It makes perfect sense. It's a perfect fit. I just, I can't see anybody else. Alex, I mean, uh, Dr. Dr. Quinn. I, I, I have to say again, the compelling argument. I don't know Falcon, but if this is an accurate description of this character, I'm going to have to go with Alex again. I like to think that Justin thinks that this is a falcon and not a man. (laughs) (laughs) It's a man wearing a helmet. Just explain it to me like I'm old. Because I (laughs) okay. um, Well, this is rigged. This is stupid. We should just stop. Uh, Alex, (laughs) it's your turn. Um, You can pick the player and then the the character on Smash. All right. I also feel pretty passionate about this next one. So, Jigglypuff has a move. It's called rest. If you press B (laughs) and down on the movement stick, same time, Jigglypuff will fall asleep. Normally, this appears harmless. And in fact, it leaves Jigglypuff stranded on the stage if you mess this up and open for all sorts of vile punishments. But if you time the rest up perfectly, it deals like 56 damage and is almost a guaranteed kill in this version of the game. And as such, I can think of no better character for Robert Williams than Jigglypuff. When Rob catches a dunk 
and his hand is extended behind his head and he has to crane back to spike this thing down on some poor sap's head. That is the equivalent of Jigglypuff landing a rest on somebody's dome and sending them 40 feet into the air. It makes a ton of sense because uh, Jigglypuff is fragile and so is Rob. Um, you know, they can both take a lot of damage. They can both give up a lot of fouls, but if Jigglypuff is used correctly, devastating. Damn, that was well argued. Um, uh, so for, for Time Lord, I'll stick with Time Lord. I have two characters. Um, I put Dr. Mario. Dr. Mario just has a, a certain charisma and swagger that I think Rob Williams would respect. Um, Dr. Mario is not a flashy character to choose. He uses the exact same moves as regular Mario. Um, but when you do the uh, taunt thing with a D-pad, he, he like has this little trick with the, the pill. That's cool. Um, and I could see Rob Williams just saying like, hey, I want a respectable, cool guy. And Dr. Mario is that respectable, <laughs> cool guy. Now, I also have written down Mewtwo. I have a feeling Rob Williams is just like a total weirdo based on nothing. Um, and I could see him like really thinking Mewtwo was really cool. And um, I'll borrow what you just said about Jigglypuff, how uh, Jigglypuff has that like really devastating knockout blow with that same move that Mewtwo kind of borrows from Samus that hold B until he like powers up and then shoots it and explodes it. And I could see very sincerely Rob Williams doing that and thinking to himself, yeah, that was cool. Uh, so my first pick was Dr. Mario, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say recently he's been playing as Mewtwo. Mm-hmm. Doctor? Mario? Jigglypuff Jiggly all the way. Jigglypuff. What? Oh, I'm sorry. He's, these are really compelling arguments. <laughs> this better end as a tie. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go in order, but man. Alex, what are you, a lawyer? Uh, I'm really so, good at this game. I've spent too much time playing this game. Uh, off air, I'll tell you. I've told you who I mean. I refuse to say it on air because it's embarrassing. I play as Star Fox. I'm such a loser. No, uh, anyway. <laughs> I know. Uh, Kemba. Kemba plays as Mario. Mario's the cutest, happiest player without overdoing it. Kemba's the cutest, happiest player without overdoing it. He plays as Mario. But he changes the color of his suit because uh, it's more fun. Particularly the yellow one. Um, I think he plays as the yellow Mario. Mm. So, Cam, I was originally going to go with Fox um, because of the speed angle. The fact mm-hmm. that they're both shooters. They're both high-volume shooters. Uh, and they both, at their best, are really zipping around the court. But I think um, Fox is also a really great defender in a way that Kemba is just not. So I'm, I'll give you a pity point here and throw you the Mario because that makes sense to me. Mario is also a shooter. He's got fireballs. Uh, he's got the cape, which is kind of like Kemba's step back. It's a little cheeky, but it also works. So yeah, I'm fine with that. Kemba Walker is Mario. So right, well, for those of you playing the home game, it's of course three points, Alex, two points, Cameron, and both of my points, Alex, have conceded. Uh, Alex, you pick the player and the sure. Smash character. Sounds good. Um, so I, I feel pretty strongly about this one as well. Daniel Tice, I think, is, I think Daniel Tice is a classy fella. I think he's very respectable. And I think that, you know, he's, he's confident enough in his masculinity that he's a Princess Peach guy. Uh, and I say this because Princess Peach has the ability to pull turnips from the ground and throw them for a very long distance in a way that seems harmless, but you get four or five turnips to your head, that's a good amount of damage. In the same way that if you leave Daniel Tice open for three, knocks down a three, you think, all right, he's not gonna knock that that down again. Well, Daniel Tice hits two threes. Okay, maybe this is a problem. We should do something about this. Daniel Tice hits three threes. Now you're in trouble. And the same can be said of Princess, Princess Peach. Sound defensive fundamentals, really hard to kill. Uh, and, you know, Daniel Tice gets beat up like nobody's business. He's getting repeatedly assaulted by both refs and other players. And yet he's still there at the end of games, just like Princess Peach. Uh, so for Tice, I went with, um, I, I kind of feel similarly that it, he's going to pick a, a classic character. Um, that said, I went with Young Link um, because Link is a really uh, yeah Justin. So there's a, a Link, but if you can imagine, he's younger. 
Um, it basically is the exact same thing. It's just like a smaller version of Link. Um, and Link has, you know, a timeless appeal to him. Uh, respectable, like classo, classic European um, masculinity, right? And young Link just kind of has that uh, chippiness, that like subversive fun. Um, he's an unlockable character. So that, that shows that you know how to play the game. So uh, yeah, I think Tice would end up playing as young Link. It's, it's a safe pick. It's a respectable kit pick. It's a little fun. Um, and it more than gets the job done. Just like Daniel Tice. Can I say it's a push? Mm. Those 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 were not really compelling arguments for either without me knowing the game. I kind of vaguely itty bitty lean towards the Princess Peach argument, but I mean it's a push, yeah. You could it's, it could be a push. Okay. <laughs> push. We all know what you're really thinking. Okay. Uh Grant <clears throat> Williams plays as Mr. Game and Watch. No um, argument. None whatsoever. <laughs> um sometimes ice climbers. Uh, I think I, Grant Williams is only really effective when he gets the nine on his side B hammer uh, outside of that very specific role. There's not much he can do. So no argument with Mr. Game and Watch, Grant Williams. That's point cam. Cool. Uh, technically, it's your turn. Um, I still have Tristan, Fast PP, and Teague on my list if you yep. want to include anyone else. Um, Tristan, Fast PP, Teague, we should probably include Semi given that he's played a decent amount of minutes. But oh, I okay. I'm, I'm I know who I'm going to pick immediately. I'm confident with stopping the list there for those four. Yeah. We're... So I'll, I'll go next. Um, I think Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson is big. Tristan Thompson is slow. Um, Tristan Thompson has a couple of things that if he repeats those things over and over again and you are not playing smart about it, you will get hurt. Um, but if you know how to read, if you know how to make, you know, precise decisions, you should be able to fuck Tristan Thompson up. And as such, Tristan Thompson is clearly a Ganondorf in my mind. Oh, um, interesting. Ganondorf has got three or four moves that are very strong and annoying. And if you spam those three or four moves, uh, it'll be frustrating to play against him. But if you play any sort of character with mobility or speed, if you space Tristan Thompson out on the floor at all, he's done. So, uh, so it's funny when you were doing this, I was so sure you were going to say Bowser, um, and so I said, "Well, I, I I'm down a point. I need to I need to come up with something else. I can't concede this point." So I actually wrote down Kirby. Um, Tristan Thompson was married to a Kardashian, or still is. I'm not sure. Uh, continues to be married to a Kardashian. And Kirby, there's no pride in playing as Kirby or winning as Kirby. Kirby <laughs> has the most frustrating moves to play against. It's clearly the easiest character to play well with. No one who plays as Kirby deserves much respect. So I- I'm a big supporter of Tristan Thompson, the basketball player, and the human being, and the potential Celtics Lab podcast guest. But I still am going to say that he plays as Kirby. And I- I've said as much as I need to say on that front. I have some thoughts reserved for Kirby later on. I'll just put it that way. Okay, Doctor? I think I'm going to go with Kirby because I think that it's a more compelling argument of the same kind of package of argument. Just more succinct. Mm. I knew I always liked you. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, uh, it's my turn. Um, I think, Cam, you technically have four to three right now because we agreed on Mr. Game & Watch. Oh, when we agreed, I, I gave myself points. When you agree to me, I yeah. have it as five to five. Maybe I. <laughs> no, I think it's four three cam. I have right four now. three cam also. Mm. Tally marks are hard for some of us. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad you're it's your pick as well. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, fast fee, fast PP plays the Star Fox. Um, he's the fastest player in the game. He's he's just devastating when you play correctly with him. Not interesting, not particularly like proud to play as Star Fox. I play as Star Fox. If you allow using C-Stick, it's over. And this is a four-year senior who played at Oregon and played tough. And there's no flash or razzle-dazzle to his game other than apparently throwing lobs to Rob Williams. Um, Fast PP, if you follow his social media, it is boring. It is to the point. It is efficient. 
And that's what Star Fox is. So fast PP, least of which because he's fast. And so Star Fox, he plays a Star Fox. See, here's my thing, though. I think when I think of Star Fox, I think his skill level is so high that it's almost too early for me to give fast PP that level. Um, I think maybe he could get there, but it's for that reason that I actually have fast PP as Pichu. I think that he's small. Respectable, very respectable. I think he's small. I think he can shoot from deep. Uh, I think he can move around in weird ways that are confusing. But there are also times where Peyton Pritchard will damage himself, which is something that Pichu does. Um, he doesn't have the most control over his electricity and his handle. Um, he's got a good amount, but it could be better. Uh, and I think he has yet to evolve into the version of Peyton Pritchard that is going to be the best version in this league. Uh, I think Peyton Pritchard can become a Pikachu in a few years. But right now, he's a Pichu. He's a solid, respectable Pichu, but he is a Pichu nonetheless. That evolutionary aspect, that just did it for me. I, I was going to say the Star Fox, I was ready to go Star Fox. But yeah, the Pichu argument wins. Uh, so now it's tied? It's that tied, again. and I believe I have the pick. And we have Jeff Teague and Semi Ojale still to go. Oh, how exciting. Um, so coming back to this, um, I think Jeff Teague fits the Kirby denigration for me pretty well. Uh, and I say this because Kirby is bad. There's just no way to put it. Kirby is a character that is fairly weak and small and can get crushed pretty easily. Uh, Kirby has a couple of moves that are annoying. Jeff Teague will occasionally like steal the ball, hit a three, but you never get the sense that it's earned. You never get the sense that it's like a real thing that's like, all right, Jeff Teague is going off right now in the same way that when Kirby hits you with like the cheesy fucking rock down B and gets a kill off of that, you're like, that, that seems cheap. That seems a little unearned and you just kind of got lucky there. Uh, and I think for that reason, Jeff Teague and Kirby make a lot of sense together. Uh, <clears throat> I'm gonna say, something unpopular for my Jeff Teague pick. Um, Jeff Teague is Marth. What? Oh. You're an idiot. <laughs> okay. Wrong so, feelings. Okay. Uh, I don't know who Marth is. He's some, uh, I think he's from a Japanese video game. Fire Marth, Emblem. Yeah. Marth was the dorky version of Kirby. He's better than all the other characters. It, it, it um, there's no, panache or excitement in picking him as a character and it's loser town usa when you say oh i'm gonna play as marth because it's just a guy with a sword who is way too powerful now does that sound like jeff teague on a basketball court in 2021 no it doesn't <laughs> but jeff teague would pick marth because he's not good enough to play as no bowser or way. luigi or something like that so uh in my estimation marth is for uh people who can't hang and they need a leg up. And Jeff yes. Teague would need that. And you know what? He wouldn't be able to play as Roy because he wouldn't be good enough at the game to unlock Roy. So he pay, plays as this, Cam, this just you just exposed yourself. I'm so sorry. You've just proven... Dylan Brown is Luigi! You've just proven to me that you have no idea what you're talking about. You're completely out of your depth. Marth is an unbelievably good character that takes a really high level of skill to use correctly. If you do no. use Marth correctly, you are basically invincible. He's, He's so, so easy to use. Strong. He's the easiest Nonsense. character to win with. He's, he is easy to use if you don't know what you're doing. If you do know what you're doing, Marth is incredibly challenging to use while also being incredibly destructive. No way. Perhaps Jeff Teague not. is too, and we just haven't seen that yet. <laughs> That's true. I've never seen Jeff Teague use a sword. I'm calling it a push. It's going down to the wire. Oh, man. So Cam gets to pick Semi Ojale with a chance to win. Okay, well, I didn't have on my list, and I didn't, apparently I can't count to five. So this is Semi as Bowser. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's massive. He's big as a house. Uh, and Bowser has that move where he jumps up and he just sits on you. And <clears throat> if Semi did that, you would fall through the floorboards like a cartoon character. So Semi Ojale is Bowser, and I'm not going to overthink that. Semi Ojale is a big, strong boy. I can't give you the point by picking Bowser. That makes no sense. 
Um, I think Pikachu's so, still on the board. Yoshi's still on the board. You can have your boy here, Roy. I, I have this. I, I know who I'm picking. Semi Ojale is Link. And I say this because if you ever played Link, you would know that Link falls incredibly fast <laughs> because he's a really heavy motherfucker. He's got a big shield on his back. He's got a pocket full of bombs. He's got a giant metal sword. Uh, and Link is kind of a, he's a secret truck. Like he's a big boy. Link can take a beating. And, you know, he's, he's really, he's got a thick jacked frame from carrying all that gear. He's developed his combat muscles really well. And I that think- sounds more like Bowser to be honest. And, well, so if I could, Semi has shown an improved ability to hit from deep this year. And Link has got bombs, he's got arrows, and that's really just about the only thing that he can do on offense of any meaningful sense. The sword is great, but it's so slow that it's barely usable in high-level play. Link is best as a spacer who can also take a beating. And that's kind of what Semi is. He's a spacer who can take a beating. He'll take a charge in the chest. He'll scrap for a difficult rebound. He's not going to drive to the lane and score with like a sick, flashy finish that uh, will leave your head spinning. He's not going to, you know, cross somebody over and leave them in the dust. Neither will Link. They're both slow. But Semi can pick his spots. He can shoot from deep. He's got arrows. He's got bombs. So I think Semi usually is Link. I'm going to have to go with the Link argument. It's just got more nuance to it. Yep. Good fight, yeah. though. <laughs> All right. Well, what have we learned tonight? We've learned that um, a three-game win streak isn't enough to get too excited. We've learned that the Time Lord has more work to do. And we've learned that anyone who uses Marth and Super Smash Bros. Melee You're is all her. I'm literally <laughs> going to challenge you to a game of Smash as soon as I can just to teach you the ways of Marth. <laughs> well, uh, if you liked what you heard, basketball-related or otherwise, please rate, review, um, and comment on the podcast wherever you found this podcast. Um, give us five stars. Give us six if they let you. Um, Alex, Justin, anything to plug before we get out of here? Usual uh, content, usual place. That would be Celtics Wire if somehow you hadn't figured that out yet. Spring break is coming up, and so I will finally have time to write for OTG. So sorry, Nick. Um, I'm going to be writing a piece for the trade deadline marathon with some weird trades that I have cooked up. Uh, that'll be coming out hopefully next week. In addition, uh, I play music in a band called Divine Sweater. Uh, you'll be hearing more from them soon, but particularly this Friday when we drop a new single, check it out. I'm your host, Cameron Tuppets Body. I got all sorts of stuff to plug, but you know all about that. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next one.